0: so much to unpack for so many different reasons. Let's get started.
1: Another race for the world's greatest driver, Juan Manuel Fangio. Former world champion Jim Clark left it the lead. That's Clarks Lotus going like a bomb. And James Hunt is the world champion by just one single point. By being a racing driver, you are under risk all the time. And if you no longer go for a gap that exists, you're no longer a racing driver. And that is Michael Schumacher ahead of the world champion. To become a four-time world champion, Sebastian Vettel, Lewis Hamilton, champion of the world. That's for all the kids out there who dream the impossible. Max
0: Verstappen is champion of the world. Three. I'm Tom Claibon, and as ever, I'm joined by Tristan Fancourt and Angus Gallagher. Today, we look back at some parts of the Spanish Grand Prix, and also look forward to the Canadian Grand Prix, which is coming up this weekend. So, first of all, let's start with a teammate of Fernando Alonso, a driver who we have often criticised from time to time, no surprises, Lance Stroll. Now, he beat his teammate for the first time this season. Is this a sign that things are changing? Is it time for us, or indeed you, Angus, to apologise?
2: <laughs> i mean only if lance stroll listened to this podcast and then <laughs> felt uh felt justified enough to to call me out on uh on twitter or something to be fair credit where credit's due he has turned it round on this one occasion on this weekend he performed well sixth in qualifying credit to him which became fifth once um gasly's penalties penalties plural were applied am i allowed to mention the caveat that alonso uh messed up his his lap and that without messing up the lap would have beaten stroll again i probably am but to be fair you could also argue yeah i, I yeah I, I it's too late for that you could also argue alonso if alonso did mess up his lap and therefore that's just uh A reflection of the qualifying that he had. Because in the end, it was a a fair beating. It was half a second over Alonso that Stroll managed to uh, um, ram home his advantage. So he really did make the most of that qualifying and the conditions that were there. In the race as well, backing it up. Sixth place. Again, solid race. I think it was one of those classic Stroll solid races, if you know what I mean, where he just... He actually... Every now and again, even in his inconsistent years, he would occasionally turn up with a very solid performance, bag some good points, and he manages to look more accomplished than he perhaps usually would. And he definitely showed that in the race on, uh, well, last Sunday now, a couple of weeks ago. Is this a turnaround? I don't know. you still got to bear in mind the fact that Alonso came up behind him at the end of the race. And Alonso, very Alonso, uh, very un-Alonso-like he came up behind him and said i won't fight for p6 i will uh i'll just hold station behind lance and i know they would have got the same amount of points anyway cuz the gap to science ahead was too far to bridge but still very uh, very magnanimous gesture from alonso to not fight his teammate maybe he know maybe he thinks that giving stroll some confidence by letting him uh beat alonso would be a good thing for the team in general maybe he knows that the uh, the team principal is, uh, is Stroll's dad? Maybe he's uh, wanting to get uh, do nice things like that to please him. Hence why he's being so so nice to him so far this year. But I'd be interested to hear your guys' thoughts. Do you think Stroll has turned a corner? Do you think that I'm trying to think if there's a trend earlier on in his career of him like starting season slowly and then coming on strong? I want to say his debut season he got that podium, didn't he, in Baku after. He was, frankly, pretty awful in the first few races. So, what do you guys think? Do you think this is a a sign of things to come? What happened in uh, Catalonia?
1: It was very unAlonso-like, wasn't it? Just to give up place. Although, yeah. I think you made some excellent points there with regards to his to Alonso's, as I say, thinking behind coming on the radio and being like, "There's no danger. There's no danger." But I think there's two reasons for it. One reason was because it earns him some significant brownie points with. Papa Stroll, and also with Lance as well, because Lance has yet to um, beat Alonso on the track, and so it gives him that, that uh, yeah, that confidence, and also signals to Lance and the rest of the team that you know if if Alonso's behind, he's not going to make their lives difficult and have a paddy. So that answers that question, doesn't it? But at the beginning of the season, I think many reported and commented on the potential conflict between Lance and Alonso and now we've had that question answered what happens when Alonso's stuck behind Lance stroll nothing but it's not really meaningful at the moment because he's basically just throwing Lance some points isn't he and given that Alonso's so far ahead of Lance in the in the driver standings yeah it's you know a, a small a small sacrifice for what I would say is quite a, a big benefit. And on the last lap, Alonso was waving to the fans behind the Stroll. <laughs> so clearly mm-hmm. he wasn't. And that was racing, by the way. Alonso was waving to the fans under racing speed um, behind <laughs> the hunts, just like, hello. Here I am, you know. Uh, so I don't think he was <laughs> pulling out full pace there. And uh, I don't know, I didn't check Lance's on board, but I don't think he was also, um, you know, taking a step back, if you like, and just waving at the fans in, in enjoyment. So, yeah, it was a bit bizarre that. I, I don't know whether or not, I because I, I haven't checked ready for this, whether or not Stroll's performance has increased during previous seasons. And you, But I do think that Stroll's performance is very sporadic. He has these kind of moments yeah. of... of excellent pace and uh, that's kind of it. He's very explosive in terms of, it's wow, where, where did that come from? But he's on pole position in Turkey. What? Mm-hmm. And then uh, <laughs> suddenly he'll be you know, near the back and spitting out somewhere. And, and uh, I miss the good old days of him going on to the race engineer being, Brad! Brad <laughs> it's not going very well. Brad. Unfortunately <laughs> um, Brad's now gone, <laughs> his old race engineer. So Yeah, we don't don't have those uh, excellent pieces of radio anymore. But I think I said last time that that Alonso and Stroll are making an excellent driver pairing. And I think, all in all, Spain has proved that's definitely the case. And if anything, Alonso's more prepared than I thought to give Stroll the small ego boost that he might need whilst on the track. Which I think is going Mm -hmm. to massively benefit their relationship because I think Alonso wants that seat for a few years yet.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. This relationship just seems all too good to be true, really. I mean, we look back at the Fernando Alonso, Esteban Ocon relationship, and granted that started off well, but you would never see Alonso doing that for Ocon the same he's doing for Lance Stroll here. And I do question whether this will continue when crunch time comes in, if you will, when they're fighting for points, both in the Constructors' Championship and they've got a car in front of them, maybe in P2 or P3 that they can catch, and also Alonso's own driver championship in terms of where he's going to be, because I think it's no secret really, it's no explosive statement for me to go and say that Alonso will beat Lance Stroll in the drivers championship but the question is how can that be done without damaging Lance Stroll's confidence in the short term because naturally as we say the reason he's doing this is because he wants to go and keep a, a happy camp together moving forwards to Canada where we know that the Aston Martin car definitely from the season start at least was very good on power circuits Saudi Arabia being a strong example of that and from what we're hearing as well when it comes to Mercedes maybe not such a positive outlook when it comes to this circuit coming up versus Spain and indeed Monaco in in par. so a good strategic move and um i'm still wild by how comfortable they are with one another, Fernando Alonso and Stroll, really, when it comes to them being like, oh, well, yeah, don't worry, here's the brake balance I'm using, there's no reason for you to be concerned or worried, I'm not going to overtake you, but I don't think that will last, and I don't think it will last as well, Lance Stroll beating Alonso on track, because without being too negative about him, he lost a place from qualifying to race, meanwhile, Alonso gained a place, so it was a victory, but it was dare I say if you go and look at the actual capacity overall more of a victory for Alonso after a a poor start when it came to qualifying granted Stroll was up two places I believe in lap one but that's very customary really to how he does so as with Perez which I will talk about a bit later it's a question of consistency can this be a springboard and I don't think it's going to be a springboard so much for Stroll but it could be more so for Alonso and indeed Aston Martin as a more conglomerate unit but um, what do we think is it not now or never time but is it time now for Stroll to go and show consistency to make sure that he will retain that seat moving forwards regardless of who's above him because as we know if he's going to keep dragging that team down maybe the wrong use of words but still if he's not going to be beating Alonso or indeed matching him then I don't think Aston Martin the higher powers will be too inclined to keep him on indefinitely as his
1: contract seemingly is Just very quickly on your Ocon point do bear in mind that Ocon has been described as the loveliest man off the track, but an absolute animal on the track, and uh, he is a very savage as a teammate, and he does not let anything go, which is why he had problems with Sergio Perez, Fernando Alonso, and we haven't seen the problems yet with Pierre Gasly, but we're very early in, so I'd say that actually, if you look at the way Ocon has a relationship with his teammates, I I I think I would say that's the issue with Alonso and Ocon, not necessarily it stemming from Alonso as much. Yeah, I oh, I think fair, that's fair
2: I mean, just look at in terms of Ocon how he treats people on track. Just look to his uh, his chop on Alonso in uh, in Spain when they were fighting for what P seven. Ocon moved extremely late mm. um, and almost took it. I'm amazed that Alonso, uh, an older version of Alonso would have reacted with. Um, with more vigour I'd say do you remember in, was it Bahrain all those years ago when you got pushed off the track uh, by Rosberg and there was that famous radio message saying you have to leave the space you have to leave the space I think Al- Alonso these days was more measured in how he reacted but in terms of Stroll I think it's always an interesting discussion about his seat that you raised there Tom because for for me he's always he's like he's his seat is written in the stars and guaranteed for life almost which is a weird situation to be in but that's just the the fact of the matter of his dad being team principal. Unless he's absolutely awful, then he will be there. I think that's just a fact of the matter. It'll be a case of who would they partner alongside him to get the the best out of him. Um, I genuinely see that as the interest of the of the the team hierarchy, the team principals at Alastair Martin, because uh, Mike Crack also seems to be very much on board with that, and he's been praising how good how good Stroll is. Um, who was I think Juan Pablo Montoya? Remember him? He came out in the the media and said how Stroll was such an underrated driver and that he had great potential. So I think that yeah, I I, I don't see that changing for me unless he's absolutely dreadful.
1: Then he will he will remain there for the foreseeable. Genuinely. Yeah, and, and I think Stroll is a real middle of the road driver as well, and that's that isn't a, a necessarily a bad thing. It's it it's just. the the plain old fat withdrawal is I think he does have these excellent moments but just will always linger in the the midfield and it will be where he ends up and that's not a bad thing because I would would like to say he's very consistent on points as well and that gives him consistency but that's not always the case either and certainly his inconsistency uh, has only been forgiven because he is the son of um Lawrence Stroll, who owns the team, and in any other team, you may be thinking, well i don't think you'll be you know you'll be you'll be safe um and actually uh, that's just the fact of the the state of the f one at the moment isn't it when you can have these super paid drivers I guess it, yeah I'm going to say super paid because it's beyond a paid driver now isn't it It's no longer oh daddy's giving me the money for my seat it's daddy's bought the team to give me my seat Mm. so uh we're (laughs) in the next (laughs) next phase of this um but i would say that he has earned his seat more than other people we've had in formula one and he's consistently beat other you know up and coming drivers he's consistently beat people like mick schumacher he's you know beat got help us mazapin when he was in there and yes they had a, a poor you know poor car but aston martin's weren't particularly great either go back a year um so I, th- I would say that he's definitely earned his place as a competitive. And let's face it, he's still within the 107% rule, which means he can qualify and race. And he's had a couple of pole positions, you know, a couple of podiums. Great. It, but he will always be just middle of the road. And unfortunately, that's if that's good enough for Aston Martin, then that that's all that really matters now. I, I think the only, the only way he's going to be dropped, and I mean this, is if he loses that 107... rule If he loses to that If he can't qualify As long as Lance Is interested in that seat He'll sit there And I think that's just The way it is now Because he is As I say A super paid driver
0: And before we move on or away from Aston Martin, the topic in in its entirety, what do we make of their prospects going into Canada? We saw them do so well, as I mentioned earlier, at various uh, speed circuits, power circuits before. Could we see a return to Verstappen, Perez, Alonso, two Aston Martins
2: on the podium, dare I dream? Hmm, I don't know. I think that Mercedes are just looking good at the moment. Literally, I think that could be the main stumbling block to to Aston Martin making any games any gains in that uh, in that category because Canada is despite being a street circuit it's quite more traditional than the other street circuits it's got a greater variety of corners my only hope would possibly be and checks weather if there's any rain because we've obviously had uh, rain influence proceedings in the last couple of weekends more um, so monaco realistically but they still Still happen to uh to do to be that in uh in Spain and oh he checks the weather and it is raining to be fair in Montreal this Ooh. weekend so Ooh. maybe there is hope for a double
1: podium. Hello. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and Lance is good in the rain though. Yep. Yep. He is. He took a pole position. Yes. Yeah, so that mm-hmm. there is an opportunity there. I think. I think the rain is a best opportunity. And um, yeah, abs- that's. I think I'm going to keep saying that. Really. Uh, I, I think the issue is the formidability of um of red bull and max being just brilliant all the time now so i'm i'm optimistic to say they could both get on the podium but if i was being realistic i would say that i think alonso's get the got the best shot um and don't forget as well the the mercedes form as maybe is back so who, you know that, that's just something to consider when we're assessing that but we know they're quick and I think Alonso is on the, the sort of another peak of his career. He keeps having, I guess his, his, his mapping of his performance is like a mountain rage at this point. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it uh, <laughs> reflects the Pyrenees. Um, and so, yeah, he's at, he's at an, another sort of peak a new, a new level that Aston So I think he'd get on the podium. Lance, I'm not so sure, but it's his home race, and what I'd say is never underestimate the power of your home race and the atmosphere to propel you on further than you you perhaps think you can. Lewis Hamilton... Often credits his successes at Silverstone to the fact that he had the you know the fans cheering him, and he's oh wow I'm going to really go for it this time. Um, What excuse Charles Leclerc has in Monaco, I'll never. But I guess he just gets Ferrari, right? But so yeah, we know that Canada's fast, but Canada is unforgiving. Never forget the Wall of Champions, and many a champion has slammed into that final corner and and ruined their lap. And so, you know. Lance Stroll pushing just a little bit too hard maybe uh, maybe championed himself by that hmm. infamous wall
0: and moving up the grid then to Red Bull or to one of their drivers specifically we're going on to Sergio Perez another mistake really in qualifying when it came to Spain he qualified in 11th for p 4 to his credits, and it was In really, when we're looking at this race in comparison to the others, the all too familiar pattern of uh, Sergio Perez's career so far at Red Bull at least of win, then drift really look, sort of post-Azerbaijan or indeed Miami and there's been some good performances, then the same old mistakes really. Um, What do we make of his performances after there was talk of a championship battle? Is a championship battle on? Because me, probably the biggest proponent of that is starting to see that maybe that dream is slowly dying.
1: And when did you think that, when did this this realization hit you, Tom?
0: Uh, it was post Miami. Uh, I think it was after the horrendous uh, qualifying at Monaco and indeed the poor result after that forum. P16, no points, nothing. Followed by a P4. As I say, it's the same old pattern really for Sergio Perez because he does have great purple patches, but they're normally followed by mediocre patches. So the question for me was would he use it as a springboard to be not as consistent as Max Verstappen because I think that's not impossible, but to challenge him week in, week out and. We're seeing at the moment with Verstappen being unstoppable at times, getting mm. P1 and only losing to his teammate in two occasions. That you need to be in and around there in every race, otherwise the chance is pretty much gone. And two poor races there. Yes, I count a P4, P4 finish as being poor in the grand scheme of things, and it's slipping away, isn't it? Really. So, yeah, that's that's my summary.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a very good summary, and it's a quick overview there of I think the just the difference. The delta that Perez has at the moment is crazy. Monaco just was a disaster for him, and then we thought, right, well, that was you know, that wasn't good. But I guess, I guess that's a one-off. And then we go to we go to Catalonia and we go to Spain. You think, oh no, <laughs> not again. Not again. And <laughs> I think the re- thing is, it's going to be unacceptable to Red Bull, and and you know, I think P four is going to be unacceptable to Red Bull. They're going to be looking at the fact that they've got a car at the moment, which is above and beyond everyone else. And they're going to be hit by upcoming penalties because they cannot be able to develop it. And Perez has crashed the car in, in Monaco and revealed their flaw. And then he went off in Catalonia and sort of damaged it. And, and he almost had to be lifted again. And you could just see... The rebel pit wall. Adrian knew he's looking at it, thinking, "Don't you dare lift my car!" <laughs> it's not again. <laughs> yeah. um, yeah. And Christian Horner having words with him after is not good. But I, I think this is an exact repeat of last year. It feels to me like repeat. We've watched this episode before. It's like it's like mm. Top Gear and Dave. You know, I've, I've seen this one. Um, we've, you know, we've. It's just a repeat. He had that excellent performance last year. He got within a few points of Max Verstappen. And everyone went, oh, we could be having a fight here. And Perez even says, I'm in it for the yeah. championship. And then he gets in his own head and uh, that's it. Off he goes. And, and backwards he goes. And so I think he's going to be, I don't know, under threat, perhaps from Fernando Alonso and Aston Martin if he keeps this up because there's only 18 points in it. That's... And, Sergio seems to have, like, either he's incredible or he seems to have, or terrible. Like, he used to get, mm. this, you know, me in the middle. And I don't think Red Bull will care if he comes in second. I mean, that's the best he can do, right? That's, but I think that's what they'll be targeting him. His contract will have, like, targets in it. They'll say, look, the minimum you need is this. This is how many points we're expecting from you. And we, they have been laying down their hand early by extending his contract and giving him a long con, you know, long-ish contract. But Sergio will have to have to meet that because never forget that there is no contract which cannot be ended early, as we found Very out last true. year with Ricardo. Mm. Yeah.
2: Absolutely, is the championship over? Well, you know my thoughts on this. There was a yeah a bit of a, a false hope after, let's say Azerbaijan when Paris was quick and it was the moment. It's almost like the moment he said that he can fight for the championship and that he could, uh, hmm. you know. Be a contender this year is ironically the very few moments he stopped fighting for the championship and yeah. stopped being a contender, <laughs> which is like <laughs> so, so unfortunate. So since Azerbaijan, that victory, Verstappen has got 76 points in four, uh, three races, three wins in a row, and Perez has got 30. So I think it shows <sighs> you the, the massive swing that's happened uh, since that race, especially when. Perez got pole in Miami and Verstappen was ninth and you thought oh my god something is actually happening here and then Verstappen absolutely steamrolled through the race took an easy win Perez had a massive if Perez is going to have one place to have an off weekend it shouldn't be Monaco where you reduce your chances of being able to come back through the the field or be able to make ground up but he did and then that's kind of gone off the boil there and then in Spain as well going out in Q2 it's just yeah it's all fallen apart his his future will be fine i think because he's part of Red Bull's wider plan i think they're actually they're actually pretty happy at the the success of having both Verstappen and Perez two top level drivers Helmut marco was asked this week about reports that Red Bull are on the verge of sacking Perez if his performance doesn't improve uh, which seems ridiculous A bit early me. yeah and that's nonsense and Helmut mark and helmet marco said Absolutely not. He's part of our plan to finish first and second in the Drivers' Championship and to finish first in the Constructors' Championship. And that's absolutely fair enough. I mean, you can see why they've actually... After a few years of having drivers, younger drivers, who didn't quite fit the bill, they've actually now got drivers who... Well, one who we we already knew was exceptional, but a backup driver who is able to support the main driver suitably and carries the experience to to bring home wins, pole positions, etc, etc, and strong performances. So I think they're just grateful to have that, if I'm honest with you. And I don't see any change happening in that, but at the same time I don't see any change in the championship circumstances where, realistically, Perez will be a backup act to make sure that the constructors gets wrapped up in the shortest amount of time possible.
0: It's incredible how a year or so ago, when Perez first came into Red Bull, we said P4 is minimum, really, for him in the battle against Mercedes. But with there being a vacuum, really, of opponent, P4 is now redundant, really, when you're against Max Verstappen, who seems to win by simple ease every single race. So here's a question for you. We've answered the championship question to a point. Is another car going to win a race this season? Because the probability is... Yes, but we're six races down, seventeen to go, and at least one Red Bull is unstoppable, and the other one is normally there thereabouts. Plus a massive gap from Red Bull to Aston Martin, Mercedes, Ferrari,
1: and the rest. What do we think? Yeah, I think I think it's well. I think it's definitely possible, and I don't think this. I don't know if it's possible to have a have an ultimate consistency of one team across every single race. And I I would like to think that. The, the current state of F1 means that we won't fall into that particular basket case scenario because there is weather, there is unreliability issues, there is other drivers. And, oh God, we didn't know how good we had it, right? When we used to have a mixture of Sonodo in his like early days. Grosjean, oh, they, uh, people like that bringing the excitement back onto the track. Uh, Latifi Latifi bring mm. us the drama during um, races that were boring so <laughs> with a little bit of drama um, it seems like it's possible for another team to win uh, and I mean one of you will, will let me know whether or not a team has ever won a um, at all the races in a, in a F1 season but what I'm saying is that we have a lot of races we have a lot of weather, we have a lot of drivers, surely, surely at some point, Red Bull won't win. And now that I've said that, it'll be this weekend. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, because so, that's usually how it works, isn't it? I'm
2: able to tell you the exact uh, answer to that. So t- the two occasions where it's come closest, 2016 was actually one of them. Remember the year where uh, Verstappen won his first race? That oh, yeah. was one of two races oh, yeah. which Mercedes did not win. That year, the other one being uh, hmm. Daniel Ricciardo in Malaysia when Hamilton's engine blew up. But the the fam- most famous example, 1988. So the McLaren MP4, MP4-4. So McLaren won. Fi- had Ayrton Senna and Alan Prost. Kind of a cheat code. That can't lie. But they won four, 15 out of 16 races. The only one they didn't win was the Italian Grand Prix, where Senna was leading with three laps to go. Before he was taken out by a lapped Williams car, and Ferrari came through to win with a one two, so hey. at Monza, so that's the only time, and that was the only race that season. So McLaren took fifteen out of sixteen pole positions, they took twelve out of sixteen fastest laps, and fifteen out of sixteen wins so but other than those three laps, they won every race. Wow, possible, maybe. Mm. Who knows this year? I mean, you're you're right in that there was there'll be some there'd freak be some, thing, uh, right? Sure, freak thing. There has there has to be statistically, even though the th- the only thing is that reliability is at, that that 1988 win was at a time when reliability was nowhere, and you had an average of like 10 or 11 cars out of a grid of 25 would finish every race, so things were blown up all over the place. So for McLaren to produce a car that well, they only retired in four. four they retired four times out of 32 entries, which was very impressive for that time. Now, reliability is more bulletproof than ever. Weather is p- perhaps more unpredictable because you get more bouts of rain. But we're also in an age where people forget that rain brings like excitement, right? But rain also, ironically, actually accentuates an advantage that a, a the fastest team has because. If you if your grid order is based on aerodynamic grip, so if the fastest team has the best car with the most aerodynamics, that's only going to be enhanced in wet conditions where mm-hmm. the grip is lower. True. If you get what I mean. Yeah. So mm-hmm. yep. that would arguably strengthen Red Bull's case, but statistically, the what well Sod's law or rule of averages, there must be at some point there'll be something where there's a mess up or there's a there's like a reliability problem or someone. Like Verstappen, Verstappen's not—he doesn't make many mistakes, but he's not immune to them. I no. mean, last year his mistakes didn't cost him. I remember was it? I think it was Spain last year. Where he spun into the gravel, lost about ten seconds, but then brought it back. Or was it uh, Singapore last year, where he had a bit of a stinker and came like um, S- qualified as well. poorly? And yeah, but his qualifying last Singapore yeah.
1: was because he was going to run out of fuel. Do you remember, he was on a yes. good lap, and they said, come in, and he goes, no, don't, oh, why did you do that? And said, oh, we'll talk to you after, and it was because they just under him slightly. So, yeah.
2: Yes. So, so it's it's possible, but, like, I don't, it's, it's well, you'd think, surely, something will happen across 22 races that, you know, it would jeopardise Red Bull's uh, 100% <laughs> streak, surely.
1: Yeah, Tom, and I you're just Hello. thinking this back to Perez slightly. We're on. Um, so, Red Bull has mm. had eight wins in a row. Surely yeah. this is going to put even more pressure onto Perez now because, Angus, you're right. That's the law of averages state will suggest that someone else, at some point, is going to be unreliability. Surely now, right, mm-hmm. the eight wins mm-hmm. in a row, Red Bull are thinking, we want to keep this up. If something happens to Max, we need that second position covered so that it can go to first position and we still win if, Pe- yeah. if max is in first and perez is in let's say ninth and max mm. you know crashes off for whatever reason just you know something happens mm-hmm. they're going to be expecting perez to be there yep. to pick up that gauntlet and demonstrate yep. that oh, red Bull, red Bull. this weekend we didn't need max we had perez mm. there to save the day now we're on nine wins
0: yeah agreed
1: I have to agree, but wasn't that
0: why he was hired in the first place? It was to get rid of the unreliability of the second driver. No offence to Gasly, Albon, but it is to have an experienced head in there, somebody who knew what they were doing and could get the best out of the car and indeed their tyres. So the pressure will be on Perez, but dare I say that was part of his job description, to be not quite Max Verstappen, but pretty
1: damn close, don't you think? So you don't agree with the sentiment that, uh, that I've seen quite a lot at the moment, which is Perez is an average driver in a very good car
0: no no there's no chance i mean if you watch back the season his final season with racing point where he won i believe it was the bahrain grand prix sake grand prix that was absolutely excellent And the reason why he was perhaps dumped out of formula One was not because of quality or form or age or anything it was because lawrence stroll wanted to bring his son into the team and decided oh perez You can't possibly be in there with Sebastian Vettel. I've got to have a seat for my son. And ultimately, it was the opening at Red Bull which allowed uh, Perez to come in and do so well. And it hasn't gone perfectly, I'll admit, from his first season looking forwards. But I think Perez has done a pretty excellent job compared to the ones who who came before him, really. It's very easy for Red Bull fans and for the critical eye in Formula 1 to look at Perez now and go, oh my goodness me, isn't he doing such an awful job getting P16 in Monaco and crashing? But compare that to how Alex Albon was doing, how Gasly was doing, even at times how Daniel Ricciardo was doing, because he wasn't bulletproof, really. So I think Perez is vastly underrated. I don't think he gets the credit he deserves, and it's only now people are starting to see how good he can be. But often he's not quite at that level all the time, as we've seen in the last two races. But hey, this may be his dip, and a purple patch may be coming up to See Red Bull Ryan through into the summer break, having won all Grand Prix. I think that's distinctly possible.
1: Yeah, it's a shame that that um, Paris has ruined the the nice pattern we had going. Because we had, I'll just read you the the nice pattern. It was um, Max Sergio, Max Sergio, Max Max Max. So now we need, yeah. Now we need like Max Sergio, Max Sergio, Sergio Sergio Sergio. can we It's possible. Can we not it's have? Yeah, can, we not have
2: can we have Russell Alonso? Leclerc, ah, not Leclerc. actually no Ferrari. to take that back. Uh, let's have a let's have a different set of uh, sorry. I'm just hitting on Ferrari for or hitting Ferrari hard for for no reason at all. But no, can we yeah can we have a different set of winners, please? It would be it would be nice. And to sorry, just to close on um, the Perez point. I ag- I agree with with Tom. His season, a racing point um, in 2020, was excellent, and that was I think one of Perez's things which he. he probably will show again this year at some point he has a lot of resilience he's been uh, twice in his career on the brink effectively i remember when he first um, went up to mclaren the year after mclaren had a race winning car and then he joined them when they were uh, dropped down into the midfield he was excellent at salber but then flopped a little bit mclaren but it was his first year and they thought and you know it was like well give him another year but they dropped him and brought in Kevin Magnussen instead because they thought he had the greater, the higher ceiling, which is ironic considering where the two, two of them now are. But then, Perez was on the brink; he had no seat. Force India came in, saved his career, and then the same team got rid of him, sacked him six years later for no justified reason, realistically. And his career was on the brink. I remember when he won that race in? uh Bahrain. he had the look of a man who just thought, finally I've won a race, so if I actually don't drive ever again I've at least achieved my achieved my life goal. And then he was given that second chance at Red Bull. And twice he's been back from the brink. So yeah, he's very definitely more the and his that season proved that he was a uh, definitely more than just an average driver in a very good car. As to what uh, what some people would say, and who did he convincingly beat in that exceptional season? Oh, Lance Stroll. Just to bring it all back around to to the earlier points. So yeah, solid driver, very solid driver. Definitely deserves more of a chance. He's got six F1 wins. I know some of those have been in a Red Bull, but it's, he's not he's not bad. He's only who on the grid's got more wins than Perez? Only Bottas, Verstappen, Alonso, Hamilton. I think so. Yes, it's not a bad number at all.
0: And looking a bit further down the grid now to McLaren, it was an interesting weekend for them. P3 for Lando Norris in qualifying. Unfortunately, though, after he was some would say break checked by Lewis Hamilton, he fell right, right down the order. And meanwhile, his teammate Oscar Piastri went from P19. Two p13 so we've got piastri with two points finishes and two bad results we've got norris with three points finishes and a p17 on numerous occasions interesting he's got that multiple occasions but there we go life's weird uh so moving forwards then what do we make of mclaren so far they started off very poorly reasons for optimism green
2: shoots or not so much so far this season they've gone through technical reshuffle well, actually, let's get back right, right back to the start. Starting the season by walking out in January and going, yeah, we haven't met our upgrade target, lads. We haven't met our aerodynamic targets in the wind tunnel. So, not a great start. Then, all the stuff that came the first few races. Like, last year, a poor start where they were dead slow. Lando Norris finishing, like you say, he's. he's I bet you, if he would told you at the start of the season, that he would be the driver who's finished 17th the most times. But with four of those 17th, he'd, be like, he'd say to you, you're kidding me, what's going on there? But that's a fact. That's a fact. He still had a chance to show his undoubted talent in his fifth year now in F1. That qualifying in Spain was just, yeah, absolutely outstanding to finish third in that car. I think that we can, I can say to finish third in that car because the fact that on race day, neglects the fact that, sure, he got that, contact on the first lap with Lewis Hamilton he dropped down the order but he didn't make up much ground in the race hardly after that like he to go from he was last, plumb last to then fight back to 17th shows that the car didn't really have it in it and that I think that if the race had gone to plan and let's say he's 3rd after that start he's probably still going to finish outside the top 10 as, as he pessimistically predicted after qualifying on the Saturday afternoon in terms of Piastri, as we said before, I think he's doing a solid job, not too bad there's a lot of hype around him because of all the, I think because of all the court case dra- of drama that happened last year, kind of like a, a keeping up with the Alpines or the keeping up with the Piastris or something like that everything that happened last year is trying to prize him from that contract so I think for him time will come and he will be able to show his potential as the year goes on, but he's made, he's made a, a decent start, considering the the caliber of opposition in his own team, because I think it's easy to forget how good uh Lando Norris is with the the cars that are have been provided to him over some years. And I think, but for McLaren, this just represents. We talk about it's an obvious step back from 2021, where behind Red Bull and Mercedes, you had Ferrari, McLaren, and then probably Pierre Gasly, and on occasion Fernando Alonso fighting for those like top five positions behind the Red Bull and the Mercs. So it's a definite drop back from that, let alone drop back from last year where he still came on the podium at Imola and he was still putting up good results. He was still putting up solid performances. I mean, last year in the end of the season when it came to the final points total, he ended up with 122 points. Can it be said that he will get anywhere near that this year? I don't think it can because he's just stuck in an absolutely horrible car with a team that has tied him down to a multi-year contract for a team that he supposedly has utmost faith in, that they will turn it round, and yet McLaren keep producing this for him. So I know we've we've banged the drum of the topic of his um, patience running out plenty of times in the past. But yes, yeah, McLaren in to- in con- in total or in contrast, green shoots? Question mark to answer. Go refer back to your original point. Possibly because two cars in the top ten solid, Piastri could have done better, he had a mistake on his lap, could have been seventh or eighth, Then you're looking at a third and a seventh maybe, but the car's just not good at all, it's extremely average, they're lagging behind even Alpine, who were considered to have a poor start to the season. Yeah, I know Tristan has some thoughts on this one, so I think I'll, I'll leave the floor to him.
1: That, hmm. Thanks Angus, yeah I think, I don't know, I think you seem to be... There, there is general optimism I think but I disagree with that optimism and I'm not not because I'm pessimistic but again I'm just centering myself in, in realism of what, what we saw in Spain and it was a bad sign when Lando Norris came on the radio when they said oh P you know P3 and he goes wait still and that's the bad sign isn't it and then he said oh how are you going to hold on I'm holding on with di- for dear life and we saw him get swallowed up not actually because it's his own fault really did shouldn't got swallowed up by the rest of the pack in the race that quickly but the fact the fact is is they just aren't getting to where they need to be at the moment and when you look at the races as well then the amount of points right they had that australia moment where land norris uh, qualified p13 ends up in p6 and when and that that was like oh is this a green shoot and then Azerbaijan two points Miami zero points, so they have these I don't know odd moments where things work in their favor and they interviewed Zach Brown his right, CEO and and asked him well what what made qualifying so special and he said just everything was perfect it was the perfect weather for us we had that limited tire degradation the tires were working as well as they possibly could for us and that's why they got to where they were it was just it just so happened at that very moment everything was right for mclaren to get that position and the next in the race the next day you're not racing at the same time in the same conditions and they predict they'd fall backwards and exactly that's exactly what happened (laughs) and i don't think I don't think that the scale of McLaren's failure to go to push forward has necessarily been demonstrated yet. I just wanna I just want to tell you this. So if you just compare some of the races last year, so let's take Miami. Right, Miami's a good one. Because I think this exemplifies McLaren's issues perfectly. Sergio Perez in last year's Red Bull qualified in fourth with a 129.0 and max on a one point uh, a qualifying third with a 128.991 okay so let's take max's time as as like the upper echelons of where that red bull car was last year yeah 128.9 this year in miami sergio perez qualified that red bull with a time of 126.8 which is obviously a massive chunk of time out, a couple of seconds. Then we look at Norris. And Lando Norris qualified um, in 2023 with a time of 128.3. And in Miami last year, he qualified with a 129.7. So he only, they, McLaren have only taken six tenths out of their, their, their pace from last year to this year. So Red Bull's taken two seconds. McLaren's taken half a second. And that's why I don't think there's green shoots. Because that's the data. That's what we've been told. And that pairs up perfectly with what we've been told by Zach Brown, what Landon Norris has been saying. You know, oh, we're going to get swallowed up. Yeah, they are going to get swallowed up because they just haven't taken the step forward that basically other teams have. And that's, that's the difficulty that they've got at the moment. They're spending more time having these sponsor-changing plates on the side of their car, I think, than developing something that's going to go into their car. I mean, wonderful that they could use e-ink to develop those sponsorship plates fantastic great i guess i guess they can say to companies now oh for the first 20 laps we'll have your sponsorship on the car and then uh, 20 more laps will have someone else's so you can what you can buy parts of a sponsorship now so you don't have to sponsor the whole race yeah very clever very clever way to do things if they wanted to do that mclaren that's a free idea for you um at the moment they're only utilizing it for chrome but doesn't detract from the fact that they are just not where they need to be. And perhaps, yeah, perhaps I'm going to say it. it's because of more investment in their sponsorship than it is in pushing the car forward and pushing that team forward because of poor management. And it's that poor management that we've heard about from employees there. And now we've had people leaving, restructures. So, to be honest, I think, I don't think it's green. I don't think it's in the red. I think it's it's sort of amber. It is exactly where it was And they just got lucky on Saturday. Until they get lucky again, it's going to be, oh, there's McLaren backwards. You know, we'll come back to this after Canada, Tom, because I'm willing to bet you right now that McLaren will have a pretty average, if not poor Canada race, and it'll prove me right. What do you have to say to that? (laughs)
0: Yeah, I think they will. Um to start with, I don't think that McLaren are having an excellent season by any stretch of the imagination, but I think it's improved from the near cataclysmic points it was at the start of the season. And what I'm saying there is I think their qualifying pace and the fact they've got Oscar Piastri who has been quietly doing quite a good job in quite an average car is reasons to be optimistic if you're trying to be really. If you're looking at Monaco for example, P10 P11, both drivers finishing close together different from what we've seen before in terms of Daniel Ricciardo and Lando Norris, granted further back than before. A P3 as well good qualifying pace and it's not what they want, I fully accept that it's not what McLaren are aiming for and it's a clear step backwards but as we have seen in previous Grand Prix seasons I think back to Ferrari from 2021 uh, as being a good one for this qualifying pace at certain circuits can do you wonders and can be helpful for you so that's a reason in my mind why they should be more optimistic than before but as i say they were stepping over a bar that was pretty much in the dirt really and when you look at the circuits they've done well on when it comes to qualifying and indeed when it comes to races as well it's more street circuits it's more tight twisty corners with some exceptions as being one so in answer to your question do i think they'll be doing rather well at canada no i do not because it's a huge gaping straight at the start of the the lap indeed going from q1 to q2 or sector one sorry sector one to sector two so it's going to be another painful race but i think it's far better than it could have been really they could be down there with williams and down there with alpha towery not saying it's a victory not to be like that but um perhaps things aren't as cataclysmic as they first were and that's the small victories they've got to take in my view So, looking forwards then to the next Grand Prix. As mentioned there, it's in Canada, the Canadian Grand Prix. We understand, speaking now at least, it will be going ahead despite the wildfires happening in North America at the moment. So, first of all then, Tristan, who needs to do well, aside from McLaren, at this Grand Prix coming up?
1: (laughs) Well, McLaren needs to do well. But aside from McLaren, I think this is Aston Martin's chance for Lance Stroll to get his sort of dream of a, of a win at his home Grand Prix. Never underestimate the power of a home crowd and this will be a fantastic opportunity for him in a, in a very, very good car to get on the podium, try and try and repeat that feat for him and... Demonstrates to the the crowd that last week wasn't just a, a fluke beating Alonso, even if Alonso let him win. But it was a, it was a sign of things to come as he propels himself and that team forward. And I think this will be it will be really great for Aston Martin as well if they can get you know a, a fun bit of success during the during the um, home Grand Prix for Lance Stroll. Given that they had a lot of fun with the home Grand Prix for Fernando Alonso, now it's Stroll's turn to have the Canadian limelight on him and. I think if it is wet weather then Aston Martin have a, have an excellent chance. It is a track that's notorious for being very very dangerous. It has that notorious wall of champions at the very end which in the wet is is exaggerated even further and it can be a very problematic. In fact actually even apparently the the pit lane can be a problematic thing for uh, cars if Luki Sonoda's incident last year has anything to go by. So if it's in the wet, anything can happen. And I think Lance Stroll is going to do well and be on the podium. guess scenes.
2: Hmm. I think that... Yeah, I mean, let's, we can hope for rain. And we saw last year a bit of rain in, the, in qualifying produced a nice couple of shocks in Canada, especially Alonso in his Alpine getting on the front row in a car which was realistically the fifth fastest or fourth fastest, He had Magnussen and Schumacher also finishing fifth and sixth in qualifying that day, so it really was a a day for surprises, Um, but I would say that Perez might pull it back and win this one, it is a street circuit after all, so I think that that may show his strength, I think Verstappen is going to crash out of this one, because the rain might be too much for him to handle. And the pressure, which he definitely doesn't think about, but I'm going to pretend like he does, of potentially equaling the number of race victories of Ayrton Senna this weekend, 41 in a career, which would be a, a momentous occasion to uh, for him to, or a momentous milestone, sorry, for him to to tick off. So the other podium finishers will be Lewis Hamilton. He loves Canada. He's won there, I want to say, six, seven times, possibly. And then I think the third driver on the podium will be Charles Leclerc. Interesting, interesting.
0: I think a team that need to do well and will do well, you've mentioned them just there, Angus has because you have to go back quite a while for a good Haas performance, be that from one driver or two drivers, particularly looking at the Spanish Grand Prix and in indeed Monaco. So hopefully with there being more sort of power and speed at this circuit versus the last two that can unleash the shackles of Haas's car and they can go up in the in the championship really. Because looking at the gap between them and the aforementioned McLaren, only nine. Only 9 points, and if they replicate the qualifying from last year and make it pay in the race, then you never know, they could do it all in one go or bear down on them even further for a cool P6 in the constructors, which, well, not bad at all, is it? And on that prediction bombshell, that seems that's all we've got time for in terms of episode 17 of F1 in Review 2023. Thank you very much for listening all the way to the end of this one, be that on your preferred podcast provider or indeed elsewhere. A reminder you can follow us on Twitter and on TikTok and or being F1 in review. So, as I mentioned there, the Canadian Grand Prix, fingers crossed, searching a wood around, will go ahead this weekend. If you're watching, listening, or observing qualifying in the UK at British summertime, that's 9pm, that's 9pm, if you're observing in the uk and then the race on sunday once again if you're in the uk that is 7 p.m so an evening racing qualifying an evening of f1 for us all hopefully moving forward so we'll see lots of racing lots of thrills lots of spills and lots of us lots for us to discuss moving forwards in the next episode when we return next week so thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next week